there, I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome everyone. I'm so happy to be here today. My name's Karen Sander and you're on the Aging Fearlessly program. Ah, and here in Sydney, the weather has finally stopped raining. We actually saw a little tiny square metre of blue sky today, which has been a long time since we've seen blue sky. Yeah. So what are we looking into today? We're looking at ending intergenerational emotional trauma that seeps from one generation to the other. And my guest is an expert on this matter, and her name is Marianne Bova. So welcome, Marianne. Hi, Karen. Thank you very much for having me, and hello, everyone listening in. Yeah, well, it's great to have a um, uh, such an expert on this topic, and I know you've had lots of experience. So mm. tell us a bit about you. Yeah, yeah. Well, really excited to be here and, and diving into a topic that's that's a bit um, challenging for most of us. So I'll just kick off with, yep, I'm Mariam Bova. I am a mindset and results coach and I am a married lady of 24 years. Mm, that's a long time. I you look, know. You look too young. Did you get I'm married at 12? I'm that. No, I'm just shy of 50, so... Mm. <laughs> you don't I'm coming back. <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, and we've got three beautiful girls: Estelle, who's about to be seventeen, and twins, the um, Indiana and Azania, that are eleven. So we're pretty pretty hectic, but um, yeah, as most mums, we wear lots of different hats. So I'm loving the coaching. I've just relaunched my practice on the back end of twenty-seven years of nursing as well. So I come with sort of toolbox of experience and, and seen a lot in, in my years as in serving the community. And the reason why the idea of opening up the conversation around ending cyclic intergenerational emotional trauma is that I've seen it in every situation. And it is an area that it really does get overlooked and it's 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 coming out now more as as a topic that people are starting to unpackage um, and there's a lot of research now that's going into it but up till this point it's been a side that people have kind of negated as as maybe there's something here that we can look at and and start to transform Nursing, for a start, is a very valuable career mm -hmm. and it's something you can carry with you wherever you go. Yes. And it, it is a practice that, you know, what you've learnt through nursing, mm -hmm. um, you can always draw on those experiences as a life coach and running trainings. Do you find that it's helpful? 100%, 100%. It has infused such a rich tapestry into the actual coaching. I've run seminars, I've run workshops, um, retreats, and it's really given me, I've primarily, Karen, worked in the community setting. So I've had the, the privilege of people allowing us to walk into their yeah. homes. Mm -hmm. So what might front up in the hospital setting, we only see one facet. But when you're actually in their home, you see them in, in all their glory. And so in a sense, I've seen you in, 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 a, in a home setting. I've seen me. In, in a home setting. I've seen reflections of everybody mm. in those settings and I've seen what happens in, in regards to the topic that we're talking about today about unresolved trauma that does seep through those generations and a lot of the time unnoticed and, and not given the attention. And, you know, we can pass on some amazing things and I think we need to highlight that, but we also can pass on some things that is it really setting up that next generation to live a life that feels like they're living it. Yep. Not a result of a trauma that was never theirs in the first place. Mm. And I think that being in someone's home, mm. they tend to relax a bit mm. and you probably 
learn more about them when you're nursing them in a home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was never lost on me, and I don't think it's ever lost on any nurse, that nurses are the most trusted profession mm-hmm. by the Gallup polls, the mm-hmm. Gallup polls, um, for over 24 years now. Wow, that's incredible. And we've never fallen from grace. Not- <laughs> <laughs> we've, re- we've remained that number, number one spot. And so there's something in going in and walking into someone's home with your badge, with your persona as a registered nurse, and that there's immediate trust there. Mm. And that is never something that's ever taken for granted. And I think also that um, especially the last couple of years, it's come into all of our minds just how hard the nurses have been working, especially through the pandemic. It's been extra hard supporting Mm. people. And I've heard of nurses who've had to support people right through COVID until Mm. that person actually dies because Mm. their families aren't allowed in with them. And Mm. that's been incredibly traumatic for the families, but also for the nurses involved and the medical staff involved. Mm, mm. You know, we're used to dealing, most nurses are used to dealing with death and dying, uh, but to be on such a exponential scale and having to deal with our own fears, especially when it first surfaced Mm. and we weren't sure as Mm. just human beings like Mm. everybody else, what this means, you know, we're all going home, you know, derobing from all our, you know, nurses gear and, and hoping that we wouldn't bring it home. But then being in the workplace, especially in the hospital setting, ICU, um, emergency, all those, you know, critical care units that day in, day out, just seeing what we were seeing overseas and, and our colleagues overseas and what they were dealing with, then when it started really hitting our shores, are we next to be on such a level trying to deal with that? Mm. So it was really traumatic. And to be in that situation of being with someone that's dying is, again, is such a privilege yeah. and such an honour. But to be in it when it's knowing that this time around you, they couldn't have the family with them, they yeah. couldn't have that, and, and to be that person, there's just... Yeah, it's, it's been traumatising mm. for, for the staff. Yeah, I've heard of examples of that where, mm. where people, where nurses have sat through the night with someone until mm. they've passed and it's mm. not their family. And mm. But you've also gone through a real trauma yourself nursing your mother. Can mm. you tell us more about that? Because mm. mm. that sort of led you to where you are today. Yes, yes, yes 100%. So I would say that... I I wouldn't put it as a trauma. I would say it was one of the most powerful, one of the most, again, privileged position and such a full circle time in our lives um, that I was able to be there with mum. So mum was an active 80-year-old at the time, you know, aquaerobics, all that sort of thing, Um, you know, quite a busy lady, Uh, lived independently, uh, was diagnosed with grade 4 glioblastoma, which is basically the most lethal form of cancer that she can have. So all treatment is geared at kind of keeping the dam at bay with the symptoms and just trying to lessen those until eventually there's there's nothing that we can do. And... um, My beautiful mum and I had a challenging relationship growing up for many reasons. And so I had done a lot of work as as an adult woman because I was finding as I was growing as a human being, gotten through a lot of the trauma that occurred as a result. A lot of that cyclic emotional trauma, that's what we're talking about today, that was essentially her experience of her family. Mm Mm-hmm. And because there was no resolvement in her world and maybe not the understanding, the knowledge, the awareness of what was actually really going on, Mm -hmm. we suffered as a consequence. Mm -hmm. And so that was very evident to me. And so I went about doing my work around it. But the end piece of that was what I call doing some work around intentional forgiveness. Because at that point when I was doing the work around my relationship with mum, I knew she wouldn't change. And I, was, I knew that she wasn't aware of what she was doing. So it was up to me to do the work. Mm-hmm. And I did do a very intentional process to really work on that. And by the end of that time, my litmus test was that I would go back and see mum and I'd only see her with eyes of love. 
And that's exactly what I did. And our relationship just transformed from that moment. Mm. But I believe that that was a massive setup for what was coming in the next few years in regards to mum's diagnosis Mm. and that I could be emotionally free, physically free to actually be there along with uh, some of my other siblings Mm. um, as well. So this certainly wasn't a one-lady show. But when mum was diagnosed, it was like a switch in the hospital that it's almost like one of those master switches. She just pulled it down and went game on. Yep. I am just going to show the world just how exceptional I can be. And there were three things that she did. She just turned up the volume of giving in any capacity that she could. Mm -hmm. And she surrendered by the minute, by the hour, by the week to what in for her being very Catholic um, to to God, but she surrendered the things that she couldn't control. And um, I was able to bear witness to how she handled this diagnosis. And um, and I can remember the doctor's look on their face when mum was diagnosed. Mum had one split second. She looked at me in fear and just disbelief. And then in the next second, she turned around and said, right, okay, well, you just give me everything you've got. And, and I'll give everything a go, but if it's my time, it's my time. And the look on the doctor's face was like, who is this woman? <laughs> who reacts like this? Yeah. And I was like, wow. And she maintained that throughout the whole time. I only ever saw once mum sort of in a moment of frustration and it was so fleeting that I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to witness the woman that was always there, always there. But because of circumstance, because of her responsibilities as a mother of four, because of her generation, all those sorts of things, that what I witnessed in that last 14 months with mum, some people don't even get that opportunity. I'm so glad that I did Mm. because I saw a woman come full circle Mm. and and deal with things with humour. That was always part of her life as well, but it just, everything, the, the volume of those things just got cranked up yeah. exponentially. And it was interesting because I remember sort of putting mum to bed one night in those last couple of months and in the quiet of the night, she whispered to me, she said, and I think, you know, with this brain cancer that's starting to take over, she had such clarity, such clarity. And she said, for the first time in her life, I'm really sorry for those things that happened to you and I was just naive and I didn't understand and I didn't know what to do. And for me to be in that moment that I had done the work around the trauma, etc., that I was able to be there in the moment and not say, oh, so you finally (laughs) acknowledge it. Yeah, great. I was able to sit with her and just go, mum, it's okay. It's over. It's done. We're safe. I'm here for you. We're here for you it's okay. Mm. And that that moment in her life that she was able to choose to want to and felt compelled to say something, that that was what she got as her response. It was such a, I think, a healing thing for her in those moments. And it was such a great testament to me on the power of intentional forgiveness, the power of awareness, the power of desire to want to change uh, the landscape and the trajectory of emotional trauma. Mm. And so, yeah, in mum's final weeks, um, I was sitting there, we were able to nurse her at home, which again was such a gift to be able to do. Um, Thank you, Northern Sydney Home Nursing Service, um, (laughs) Monavale, and palliative care. Um, And um, I went over to her and I said, oh, mum, is there anything else I can do for you? And you know, thinking maybe I need to fluff a pillow, maybe she needs some more morphine, maybe she needs to be more comfortable. And in a muffled voice by then, she said, go out and make people as happy as you're making me now. And that will forever stay with me, that in those moments she was able to give me a gift of, of those words and you know, has, has given me the courage to go on and do something that I feel like I can give my most value now mm. and, um, and you know, have a little bit of lightness and a bit of fun with it too, but with a really important message and, um, and that's about taking responsibility so that the next lot of generations 
um, have a different experience. And perhaps that's the best advice your mother's ever given you. Oh, it was huge. It was um, beautiful. Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah. I'm yep. Alive. You chose a song today and uh-huh. that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good one to kick off with. Um, I'm all about using whatever you've got to get you in a different state. So I'm sure we all have morning routines to kind of kickstart our day. So more recently I've like, okay, well, I've not gotten into this whole meditation thing. I still struggle with that. What's going to be the thing that's going to get my butt out of bed? (laughs) And my girlfriend and I were revamping Xanadu recently. Mm. Yeah. Good old Olivia Newton-John. And I used to love the song I'm Alive. And so now in the mornings, most mornings, I'll turn it on because you can't help but sit there and smile. And I've always been in awe of seeing the sunrise and being, you know, in my nursing background, just so appreciative of this little meat suit that we all run around in and the fact that I got to wake up out of bed and get myself out of bed, that, you know, I can, I've got control of my body um, mm-hmm. and what a gift it is to have this. So it's kind of, you know, a bit vibey and, and old school and from my generation <laughs> – and you just can't go back to sleep after. Well, Marianne gets up to this, so let's listen to it. (laughs) I'm Alive, ELO. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. I'm in the studio today with Marianne Bova, and we're talking about intergenerational emotional uh, trauma and or getting through those traumas in your life. And it's been a, a really interesting chat so far, but after listening to I'm Alive, I'm jumping out of my skin. So we're just going to launch straight into the next question with Marianne. It is a great song, isn't it? No, I think I'd be, you know, with that and You're coffee. You're not going and, back I'm to going, bed. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm You're getting moving. With my coffee, that's, that's absolutely <laughs> it. But um, – what were you like as a child that you're still like now? Yeah, yeah. I, Karen, I'd have to say thank you to my brother, Michael. Um, he was the one that got to me to be a little bit of a daredevil. And so he'd um, asked me to do, you know, oh, do you want to um, do this? Do you want to do that? And I was like his, I was a younger sister. So um, I was like his little um, experiment to the point where there's a very famous story in our family about me jumping off the roof. Um, Mm. That's what you do as a kid, isn't it? Everyone jumps off a roof, not. But anyway, well, we hope not. Clearly I survived. It was all about capturing a photo um, that never eventuated. I hope you didn't encourage your kids to jump off a roof. That's one intergenerational aspect that you've gone. (laughs) No, but um, uh, I think I've always been a little bit bold. I think that got flattened for a long period of my time as I was dealing with the, the outfall of, of some, some family trauma. Um, but that little flicker never died. And so where that tends to show up now is, is I'm, I'm, I find I'm, I'm pretty good at grabbing an opportunity. And when I look at what I, how I was when the kids were young, as an example, you know when the kids are walking along something and it looks a bit precarious and you're like, don't do that, you'll fall. My thing was always what do you need? And so it might have just been a pinky, it might have been a finger, but I never said, don't do that, you'll fall. Because, you know, especially sort of being in personal development, knowing full well that what you're going to say, especially coming from a parent, almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I was very conscious that they need to be able to be a little bit robust and figure out things for themselves in a safe environment, not jumping off roofs. Um, I cornered that market. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Could I tell you about the time that my niece at about eight decided to launch herself down my mother's laundry chute? (laughs) That didn't end well. There was bones broken. But oh, no. Uh, they become classic family stories. Hopefully, you know, most of them don't end up, you know, If she's traumatic. listening to this, yeah, <laughs> was her first broken bone. She had other kids that were going to follow her, but they saw what happened. They saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I won't be following suit on that one. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, and the, and the motto that I had was the crazy ones have more fun. And, you know, I think in time I needed to rope that in. It's like you know, kids within reason. But what it was really representing is, you know, like I'd be the one to jump into cold water and, and, you know, the one to sort of kind of 
sense life, to feel life and not be frightened of life. And it's interesting to see how they're emerging. And, you know, I think that that has kind of seeped through. And, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that I would hope is is something that's resonating positively with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was probably those inceptions of my beginnings as a young thing and kind of reemerged, I guess, when I had our kids and um, and me sort of at this stage of my life kind of grabbing new opportunities and, and um, you know, kind of living a bit outside that proverbial yep. box. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yep. So also now the next question is this possible? Can you summarise or how would you summarise um, your life in chapters? Mm, mm. There's nearly yeah. five decades there. Yeah, how I would, know. How yeah. would you summarise it? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, I'm actually going to steal a bit from uh, Portia Nelson. There's a very famous, uh, I guess, sort of summary of her chapters as she wrote it, and it's easily found on, on good old Google. And I came across this with one of my, I guess, spiritual mentors, uh, Wayne Dyer, that uh, perhaps some of your listeners uh, know. And this, to me, feels like my journey dealing with trauma. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find my way out. Chapter two, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend that I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I am in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit but my eyes are open. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five. I walk down another street. I really enjoyed that. Mm. How many times have we all fallen in the same hole? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've repeated, mm-hmm. we've repeated, mm-hmm. we've repeated, and we're very slow learners. Mm, mm. And you can come out decades later and finally figure that out. And the question is, is how long do you want to keep falling in the same damn hole? And the beauty now is it's not just about the awareness that you're falling down that same hole and the awareness that you don't want to play victim anymore. It's coupling that now with neuropsychology and looking at neuroplasticity and looking at the wiring in your brain that is not just from the trauma but about you've wrapped so much around your neurons that it's just basically you playing out the same cycle. Mm. And the good news is you can change that wiring. So I love that in this time in our lives that we have – evidence-based neuropsychology, um, so much research going into that, so much Mm. evidence-based stuff that we can look at it from different angles now and just not having to go down the rabbit hole of just trying to work ourselves out through the, you know, the the sort of the known um, modality of of counselling, just pure psychology, that there are so many tools available to us to get to a point where we can walk down another street. Absolutely. I Yeah, and I think we're at an age in a generation now that we are learning. Mm. There's so much more about neuroscience that we're understanding. There's people studying it and making it available to us to learn. Mm. Uh, I want to go on to your nursing for a minute. So 27 mm. years of nursing, mm-hmm. um, you know, were you, were you happy with that and, and eventually why did you choose to, lo- to leave? Mm, yep, great question. I have had such an incredible career. I, I don't think there's a nurse that um, hasn't said that it's, it's one of the most rewarding careers that you could possibly get. As nurses, we get what a lot of people perhaps don't experience on a daily basis um, in, the, I guess, that corporate sector is 
Um, in my coaching world, a lot of people are coming in the corporate sector for career transition and wanting to feel like they're doing something that's of value, that they're giving back to the community. Nurses get to experience that every day. Hmm. And um, to be valued, to be appreciated for what you do, to be with people at their most vulnerable times of their lives is just you would go home despite all the challenges, all that sort of thing is um, – you will go home with such a sense that you have made such a contribution to people. And I'll never forget the day that I, um, I was taking a student nurse with me and we went to go and help um, a woman that was dealing with her, um, had come to the end of being able to look after her mum that was palliative care and she had to make the decision to send her into um, a palliative care unit and it, it just crushed her. She was mm-hmm. devastated, that, but she just couldn't do it. So we helped clean up mum and sorted her out and got all nice and, and um, ready to, for, to be transported. And the daughter came in and she said, nurses are born, they're not made. She appreciated us exponentially. But it was great because I was able to say to the, to the daughter, I said, it's all right. Your mum was just giving you one last gift before she, she you know, leaves, leaves this world. And that was just to let you know just how strong you really are. You know, a week ago, you didn't think that you would have been able to handle what you handled in the last few days, and you did. Mm. And your mum's just letting you know how strong you really are. And that piece, I think, helped her deal with the trauma, I guess, of just, you know, seeing her mum like this and and just kind of helping to reframe the situation. Mm. And Mm. to be that for another human being, that's what nursing really, really taught me is that we all crave connection. Yeah, and I think one of the things here I'm reading about you is, and I think you've just answered it, what's your own personal development journey taught you? Mm. Um, but you also haven't told us why you retired from nursing. Oh, look, you know, it was probably about a two-year decision. Um, it wasn't something that I took lightly. Um, I had uh, become a, a life coach in 2015, so I've always loved um, everything psychology. I've done my grad dip in counselling some time ago and going through my own journey and, and knowing what it took for me to get to the place where, you know, I'd sort of flipped a lot of who I was. And I stopped the coaching when my mum was sick so that I could just stick to my nursing, my family, my mum. And so I just simplified my life. But during that time with mum really gave me pause to think about the direction that I wanted and mm-hmm. um, mum was always a big encourager for me to really share, you know, my, my gifts, my talents as she did with everybody and she knew that this was really something I was quite passionate about and I'd always come alive when we'd talk about, you know, topics around mm. personal development, spirituality, that sort of thing. And mum passed away in May last year you know, said, you better be giving me the courage to make a good decision. And so I was finding that I was having my feet, one foot in one bucket with my nursing and one foot in in what was really a growing passion and and just kept bobbing up to the surface. And I had to, I had to call it. And so it was a hard decision, but I think I'd come to a point where it was the right decision. Mm. And I'm hearing you right now because I know that things in your life change. When you've got your feet in two buckets, it's funny that things don't easily come your way. You think, why isn't this happening? But you've got to get both feet in the same bucket for that to happen. To give give it that time and space. And uh, I've also um, found that working in the Western medical model I was finding I was feeling very contained and um, there was so much more that I could offer and I'd expanded past that role in terms of who I was and I was just realising that I've got more gifts to give now. Mm. And, it, and it sort of felt like, I mean, it's a very challenging time in nursing, um, but it was sort of, as I said to one of the other nurses, it's like you're sort of ready to hand over the baton to the next generation of nurses. And so it felt... That was the right time. And I had such a beautiful works place down at, got an amazing team down at um, Mona Vale Sydney Home Nursing. Mm. <laughs> they, there's a plug for them. They're a great bunch of people. <laughs> well, Old Town Blues is another song today mm. by Boy and Bear. Yeah, they're a local band. Are they? Yeah, plug for Boy and Bear. Mm. Yeah, they're an amazing group. Um, they 
this is a song for me that it's, um, brings back some really great memories. We, by a bizarre twist of events, uh, this band was always our little Bova family band. We all loved it. Frank's great at, at having such an array of different music in the house. And this is the one that we all loved. You know, it was my daughter's first live concert. And yeah, we ended up crazily meeting the lead singer. Dave, hello Dave. Um, I asked his permission if I could um, yeah. <laughs> say hi. <laughs> say hi. And, um, and we've remained friends ever since and um, it was just a beautiful time of our lives that we connected with them and it was something that it was actually the power of intention. My husband said, uh, I said, what do you want for your 50th birthday? And he goes, oh, boy and bear to play for me. <laughs> so I didn't get the band to, uh, to play in the house but we did get to um, – befriend dave and um and it's been a really great experience so and it's a great running song (laughs) oh i don't run so maybe i can walk to this um old town blues by boy and bear yeah welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3 your community radio station you are listening to aging fearlessly with karen please go to facebook and like the page aging fearlessly My guest today is Marianne Bover, and we're having a great chat. My next question to Marianne is, what is the importance of going back and checking your own stories? Mm. And have you got a good example for us? Yeah, thanks for asking that question, Karen. We're We're meaning machines. So everything that happens in our life, we attach meaning to it. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we need to somehow put it in boxes in our lives mm-hmm. um, as a matter of importance. And so when we look at what happens in childhood development, I think we all know from zero to seven is is really impressionable. That's when we're sort of getting all our neural networks formed um, at exponential rates. Uh, and as a young person, what we create meaning to is all based on our survival. So when we create a meaning around something that may or may not even it's, this is not negating what trauma is, but just sometimes what happens is we've created a meaning around something that was never actually what was intended. Um, and I want to give you an example of that. Um, and, um, Maria, um, I've, I've asked permission to, um, to share this story and, um, a, a beautiful woman that I met uh, in one of our goal-setting workshops some time ago, and she shared the story of her beautiful father that grew up in South Italy on, the, on a farm. He was one of 11 children, so as you can imagine, back in the day, uh, not a lot of resources, very poor. 11, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, resources very scarce, you know, one pair of shoes for all the children to share, that kind of thing. Ooh. Yeah. So he had a donkey. Well, the family had a donkey and he loved this donkey. Everybody else didn't like this donkey, but he had a way with this donkey and the donkey did what he said, but was a pain and a nuisance to everybody else. Anyway, so he expressed his love for this donkey. A week later, the donkey was killed because they needed to sell it for the family to survive. So as a young boy, what was the message he got? I, once I, I, I sort of, you know, announced my love of something. It was taken away. It was away. taken away. It, it, I, it, it's, it's then in danger. It, something bad happens. So he's attached that meaning. He's gone on with his life. But that's the undercurrent, the mm. thing that seeps through. So how that showed up um, in when he had his own family was Maria knew that um, he, he, she was loved, but it was not a felt experience and it wasn't a tactile thing. And it was always like this sort of wedge that was between them and, and it really affected her um, experience of, of that father-daughter relationship and, and it, she had a very strong awareness of it and it, was, it, was, it really uh, saddened her and she just didn't really know why. And so as, a, as an adult woman, 50-plus, um, yeah. <laughs> um, 
she decided to have a conversation with her father and it turns out this story came to light. And then when they could frame it up that it had nothing to do with what he said that he announced that he loved this donkey and then that means that everything gets destroyed. No, it was just survival. Mm. And what that broke down all those years that he could have had with his family that he could have expressed his love because he wanted to, but he was too afraid to, that something was going to happen to his children, that that never had to be there, Mm. that never had to be there. So sometimes we're adults walking around in a childlike mind because we have never gone back to check in with our stories. And this sounds harsh because I, I certainly have my own fair share of trauma And again, it's not negating um, the experience of trauma, but there is research to say that some things over time, 50% of it isn't quite accurate. Mm. So we're traumatizing ourselves on things that actually weren't totally correct and we've kind of snowballed it over the years. But then we become adults. There's a point in our lives that we are young, we are victims, we are not in control of our environment. But there comes a point, Karen, that we become responsible for little people. We become responsible in our workplace. We, we impact people. And what kind of impact do you want to have? And that's where we then need to step up, put our big girl pants on, put on our big, girl, big boy pants on and just go, you know what? Yeah, whatever happened as a kid or, you know, growing up, the big traumas, the little T traumas, it's time. I've got to really looking, you know, my job is to do my own inner work. It's nobody else's responsibility. So we can either choose to stay in victim mode and continue to vicariously traumatise outwardly, or we can choose to take the reins of our lives and actually then have an experience of living fully. Yeah. And people get the best of us then. Yeah, I agree. And Mm. um, sometimes they're things you don't want to look at, Mm. but once you've looked at them, they're not so scary to look at. Mm. Mm. You, you know, it's, sometimes it's fear, I'm sure, that stops yeah. us looking at them. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just, we don't want to open Pandora's box, but sometimes yeah. when you open Pandora's box, it isn't as bad as it seems. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, is as adults living where we are, you know, if you, you know, obviously I'm not talking about when people are still at risk in, tra- you know, in traumatic situations, obviously that's different kettle of fish, but I'm talking about you're an adult living in the world. You've got a roof over your head. You are physically safe. You are safe now. Mm. What trauma is vicariously still seeping through that doesn't need to be there. And it's the trauma that's never your children's to mm. bear. And, and that, to me, is then it's the, the responsibility lands with you. Another song. It's mm. time. Ooh. I'm in heaven uh, it's a by this one. Fred Astaire. Yeah, yeah. I think oh, I can't remember the name of the person, but it's, it's, uh, um, I'm sure your listeners will know it, but there's a beautiful story attached to, to this one. This is why this one's kind of crept in. I, um, you know, I was thinking about Fred Astaire when I was downloading this song from iTunes and I was thinking, you know, our generation knows Fred Astaire, but, you know, I think of the generations behind us. He's yeah. so long gone from the world, but what an amazing performer. Oh, uh, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Welcome back. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org. I'm with Marianne Bova. Marianne, why that lovely song by Fred Astaire, I'm in Heaven? So when my mum wasn't well, Helen, um, we had a beautiful volunteer from Palliative Care uh, come and use her beautiful talent of playing music on the piano. And my mum decided just to take that as an opportunity to – say a big thank you to her children for looking after her in a difficult time. So mum sang along with it oh. and it was sort of like, are you ready, maestro? Oh. <laughs> and I've got it on record and, and she sang, um, I'm in heaven. But she said, and, and it's something, it's such a gift for us now because I, I listen to it from time to time now and it just makes me smile. And, and she says, in part of it, she's singing along, 
And kids, if you want to know where I am, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. And so anytime I go to a place where I feel sad and just like feel really overwhelmed and and just really missing her, I can just put that on. And And it it makes you feel better. And that's what she wanted us to be. And and it, it was done in deep appreciation. And it's just a catchy tune and that was from her generation and and um it's gorgeous it's yes so it's pretty special so um you've mentioned to me before the blank canvas can Mm. you explain to the listeners about the blank canvas Mm, mm, mm. so karen if you think about if if you were to hold up if, if my life was a canvas and i look at everything that's on my canvas how much of what's on my canvas was my creation yeah so you know there might be you know, uh, splashes from my um, childhood, from my parents' um, uh, expectations, uh, my experience of my parents, all that sort of thing. For some people, you never even got a look in. If they looked at their canvas, maybe there's nothing on there that's theirs that it's all been tarnished by parents living vicariously through their children, um, expectations, mm-hmm. by trauma. Um, and some people never are able to rub yep. that off and start with theirs. And I look at what I guess was painted on my canvas was probably on there up to the age of 30. And it was probably then that I started to, you know, using it as a, as a bit of a metaphor kind of start to be able to just rub off those things that didn't serve me to work those out and then look at my canvas and go, how do I want to create it? And I had to recreate my own sense of self, identity, um, you know, understanding who I was and, and what my gifts were, all that sort of thing and find my own voice again. And I look at our responsibility now, especially looking at our children, what are we handing to our children? Are we handing on generational um, traits that just don't serve them and then that's there before they even get a look in on their own canvas? Mm. So our role is to hand them a beautiful, crisp, white canvas and to be able, you know what, this is yours, you get to do with whatever you like with it, even if I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that tattoo that you're going to get that I'm really going to hate, go to it. Yeah, and and I mean, you know what I'm getting at, you know. Yeah, I do, absolutely. We're we're in the parameters, obviously. I'm joking about Yeah, let's keep kids safe, all that sort of stuff. But it's just the ability to have self-expression and that we arm them with the tools, the resources, the skills so that they are then free. I think what I'm really getting at is the point that they feel safe they feel free to be able to create whatever masterpiece it is. And we have to trust as well that they have a sense of self and we need to let them explore that sense of self. Um, otherwise, we keep smothering those opportunities for them to, you know, do a pro heart, do a, yeah. you know, a Mona Lisa, whatever it is, and just let it emerge over time and but knowing that we've got their back. We've explained everything so well to me today, and uh, I've really enjoyed this far more than I thought I would. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. It's and a hard topic to go to. It is, and it's making me think about a lot of things. But what are your three takeaways today? Okay, one. Your doggy bags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only in Australia. I oh, know. I know. I don't know that that expression's anywhere else. Um, pay attention to your life. Just Pay attention. Pay attention to what is happening in your body. You know, I I think, you know, even from a a nursing perspective, your body is always talking to you. Um, You know, we tend to put things off. um, But just pay attention to what's happening and notice. Um, Paying attention to how you react, um, how you tend to be triggered. And they're going to give you clues. You know, when we say, oh, that's what mum did, that's what dad did. And it's like, okay, well, that's fine. Does it actually work for you? Is it, is it affecting you in a way that isn't serving you? And or let it go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you need to do some work around that? Um, uh, notice your children's reactions. Notice the workplace reactions to you if you don't have children. Um, notice what's going on. And use that as a little bit of feedback. Mm. So rather than 
you know, sort of putting out there in, in the sense of, I guess, sort of adopting a victim hat, you know, it's, um, oh, my little Sarah Jane, oh my gosh, like she's, um, you know, at that thing again, it's like, okay, all right, so she's doing that. I wonder what she's reacting to. You know, it's looking at just easing up on, on those people around you and, and seeing how maybe you're interacting with them, how that might be showing up that there's still some unresolved things for mm. yourself. So looking back in the mirror, always looking back in the mirror. Um, and I think with our generation, we look at our kids and just go, oh, my gosh, look at all the social media. No wonder our kids are screwed. Um, but, you know, the home environment is the most powerful, impactful experience um, that they will get. And it helps them navigate that social media platform and to feel like they've got a safe place to just go, mm. oh, I've just had some really hard stuff go on, um, you know, to kind of buffer a little bit and to help educate them and create opportunities for them to um, connect with you. Mm-hmm. And my third one is have some rituals in the household. And, and here's one um, as, as um for all the parents out there and something that I'm about to kickstart off with my family, sorry, Baba family, um, <laughs> is having, we have in, in, in our workplace, we have weekly meetings, yeah, to yep. assess where we are, mm-hmm. who's doing what, who's delegating, is everybody on board, anyone have any issues, concerns, etc. We never do that in our own family environments. Like how bad is that? Never thought of it. And you know, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit vulnerable conversations as a parent because you're checking in to see how am I doing as your parent, you know. Yeah. They're our, you know, we're, we're working for them. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> and so having a round table, wherever that works for you, you know, I mean, we are pretty good at having dinner at the table and that's where a lot of times when it's been an opportunity for those op- um, random conversations that's opened the door to what's going on at school, friends, etc., is having a very – that the kids know that we're having a, a weekly meeting and this is, you know, the time it happens. In. And, you know, yeah. having – being a bit playful about it, you know, have a scorecard, you know. It's going to be a little bit awkward to begin with, but in time they get on board and just go, this is an opportunity. I can have my voice heard. I'm actually not so happy with what's going on in our household at the moment. And we all then help each other and – um Touching on going back to stories that need to be checked in with, it's an opportunity for if there was something that happened in that week that you're aware that maybe your child might have misinterpreted or it was never that meaning that they potentially could then use, you know, use that as a little T event but attach a meaning to it that wasn't really kind of how it was, then you could stop that. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Instead of years of assuming that that was you know how it was and have an open conversation around it and I can think of one thing in particular that happened in in our home this week and and I thought you know I have an opportunity to kind of just have a a dialogue around that so that it doesn't have to be something that is misunderstood. I think also it helps for um, positive communication teaching your kids how to communicate effectively mm. and together as a family. It's yeah. an opportunity. It's a life skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all those things that you, inverted commas, don't get taught at school and that's what I'm about is, is you know, sort of resourcing and, and tooling up, you know, the younger ones to, to have these, you know, tools at their fingertips and, and hopefully create family environments that, you know, can really adopt these kinds of, you know, tools and skills and have a bit of fun with and a bit of lightness about it. And, um, yeah, change your landscape for the next generation. Marianne, how do people contact you? Have you got a website? Yep. So I have my website, Eden Rock, which is R-O-C, so Eden Rock, coachingandconsulting.com. And you can easily send me something via there. And then there's Marianne at EdenRockCoachingAndConsulting.com. Well, thank you for coming in today. It's been really insightful looking at this integrational emotional traumas and, you know, that goes through generation after generation and how we can deal with that and put an end to it. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It, am I able just to end with one thing? Yes. Yep. Um, it's a quote by um, Dr. Broderick 
um, who has since passed away. But what we're looking at doing is, is that you would be the transitional character, the one that changed the trajectory of future generations. A transitional character is a person who in a single generation changes the entire course of a lineage, who somehow finds a way to metabolise the poison and refuses to pass it on to their children. They break the mould. Their contribution to humanity is to filter the destructiveness out of their own lineage so that the generations downstream will have a supportive foundation upon which to build productive lives. And that has got to be one of the best positions to be in. Well, thank you, Marianne. Thank you. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in It's not all I'm to find, it's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high, swim across oceans wide. Live out our dreams, just you and me. Let your heart be alive. There's no time to wait. Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart just let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart be alive.